And Mandela said, and this will come full circle back to the point, Mandela said, that was my early establishment of leadership. The leader is not out front. The leader is behind the flock. And the flock moves ahead. But the leader is always at the back guiding. And I think all I can do with colleagues, with 25, my kids, is show them the path and say, look, here's where, here's where we're trying to go here. Now it's up to you to take responsibility. Read the material, work on it, study it, internalize it, make it into habit, experience things, you'll get things wrong. Somebody will be there to pick you up. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll find your way. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, leaders, and people looking for high performance in business and in life. Now, each week, I sit down with one of the world's most successful people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, mindsets, and habits that help them get there. Now, it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. And if you want access to over 300 episodes and insights with game changers and change makers, head to whatgotyouthere.com, where you can also subscribe to my Momentum Monday newsletter. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Carl Martin to talk all about the lessons he's learned over his three decades working in different leadership positions and operating roles across different companies. Now, the reason I really wanted to have Carl on is I heard him in an interview one time talking about leadership, personal growth, and personal development. And I thought, now here is a guy who has some wisdom to share and pass on. And that's what we do. I dive deep into Carl's career, what he's learned, the trials and tribulations he's had to overcome, how he's handled that, what he's done to lead other people, what he's done to improve and lead himself, and much, much more. So if you're interested in finding out how you can become a better leader, a better individual, and keep growing in your life, then please enjoy this conversation with Carl Martin. Hey guys, it's Sean, and I'm wondering, have you been looking for a new book to read? If so, get excited because my new book, Masterpiece in Progress, A Daily Guide to a Life Well-Crafted, is coming out on October 10th, but you can pre-order your Kindle version today. This book is your one-stop guide for daily inspiration and practical wisdom. You see, I've compiled 365 of the most powerful messages designed to inspire and help you make meaningful progress in your life. That's 365 opportunities to become a better you. Don't wait, pre-order your copy today on Amazon and be among the first to start crafting your own masterpiece of a life. Trust me, you won't want to miss this. And if you don't believe me, then listen to what other people are saying. Frank Slootman, the CEO of Snowflake Inc., said it is a masterclass in personal development. Former Navy SEAL and Bronze Star Medal with Valor recipient Michael Burns said, it is a roadmap to all who aim to conquer their personal and professional battles. And Dr. Tara Swart, a neuroscientist and senior lecturer at MIT, said reading it is like undergoing a transformation. So head to MasterpieceInProgressBook.com to pre-order your Kindle today. And remember, it comes out on October 10th. Carl, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm good, thanks, Sean. How are you? I'm doing very well. I was reflecting a bit this morning on, on where to start off, right? These conversations are always interesting. You never really know exactly where to start. And it had me thinking about moments in our lives where we go into it with one expectation, right? Like hoping to get a job, hoping this first date leads to something bigger. And those moments don't end up the way we wanted them to end up, but take us entirely to a new destination, a new place in life. So I want to rewind back to 1997. I know you were interviewing for a job and you were being interviewed by Peter Lee and you didn't end up yep. getting this job, but I want to know what this conversation led to in your own life. I was, it was a significant moment, to be fair. Um, I was two months away from getting married. The um, venue was booked, uh, hotel, honeymoon was all sorted. And I came out of that conversation with Peter Lee having this epiphany moment that just said, I'm not marrying the right girl. Um, I'd, I'd felt that for a long time. But the conversation and what led to it by reading of Kobe's Seven Habits um, was was just a really profound moment for me. And my career had been on a reasonable path, but from within, I didn't, I wasn't appointed to that role at that time. 
that I knew that the next time it became available, that I would probably get it. Um, so I got hold of Seven Habits, which he recommended to me. And it's been like a Bible to me ever since. Um, I constantly refer back to it over the last 25, 30 years. Um, I go through the seven habits very, very quickly in my mind in any situation that I'm in. Um, so that, that, that read, that conversation, and within two years, I met a new partner. We'd been married for 25 years, two great kids. Uh, and so it was a, that was a life-changing moment. Were there specific words, questions, things that Peter said, or was it him recommending Stephen Covey's seven, seven Habits of Highly Effective People? And that's what led to the change. Yeah, precisely. The reading of the book? Uh, I, th I think, I mean, he was, he was the exec coach to the CEO, a, a quite a well-known UK retail guy called Malcolm Walker, who founded and grew the Iceland business. Um, and he's really high profile. His son is now running the business and he's got aspirations to be an MP, constantly on the news, uh, being interviewed about his thoughts on all sorts of different subjects. So they're a high profile family. And Peter had been Malcolm's coach for a number of years. And I got the opportunity to spend some time with him. Great guy. And he recommended Seven Habits to me and said, I, I think you would really get a lot from this book. Um, but you've got to learn it. You've got to you've got to internalize it. Imagine you're going to teach it, hmm. um, and then and then live it. Basically, talk and, to me. You know, sorry. No, I was going to say, talk to me about that that internalizing. Uh, the finance writing writer Morgan Housel has this line I really like. He said, "People don't remember books; they remember sentences." And I found that to be true. Yeah. Most people just remember sentences of books. How did you yeah. take the lessons in that book? and ingrain it in your DNA and allow it to become who you are or help shape that trajectory? Well, first of all, I think when you read stuff, it's got to be consistent with your own. I picked up hundreds of books over my, over my career and just put them back down again after a few sentences or a few paragraphs and thought, now this isn't really doing it for me. Um, but I think it was just the concept of paradigm shifts in the early part of the book and the concept of seeing the world trying to see the world from a different perspective. Excuse me, sorry. There's a bit of noise. I didn't shut the door. Um, trying to see the world from um, through other people's eyes. And then the sequence of the habits, how you move from a pit of, you know, from a very young age, you move from being um, dependent through um, independence and then ultimately into inter interdependence. So that all resonated with me. And then it takes you through winning what he calls the private victory, which is knowing yourself and being in control of your own emotions to, an, to a large extent. I mean, clearly, we all have moments when we have bad days or whatever, but controlling those, but winning the private victory. So I think the whole bit around understanding and knowing yourself um, and what buttons press you positively where your where your weaknesses may be or your challenges or put another way your sort of shadow self mm. um all all that sort of stuff really resonated so you and then the whole concept of proactivity the whole idea that you i think one of the concepts that i find incredibly liberating is the idea that there is a to every stimulus there is a response but as humans, we have we have a unique animals don't have it. As as humans, we have it. There between those two is the ability to choose your response. So whatever happens to you in life, whatever situation you are facing, whatever stimulus has come at you, you can choose how you respond to that. And I find that incredibly liberating. Hmm. That led me to Viktor Frankl's book, Man's yeah. Search for Meaning incarcerated in a concentration camp and he talked a lot about the principle of proactive mind taking responsibility for the situation and ended up believing and that he had more freedom than his captors um so it, i think it's it's those then that that leads you on to vision and leadership and direction habit two 
Habit three, prioritization around that vision and that leadership. And then you've you've sort of you can go into the wide world and become interdependent because you know you're going to take responsibility. You know you think roughly idea where you're heading, and then you're prioritizing around that. Um, and then then you can go out in the big wide world and start to interact and seek first to understand, create win-win scenarios, synergize, and it's just a really powerful um, process. Talk me through that moment, that gap between stimulus and response. The legendary squash coach, Paul Asiente, he has this great line. He says, what I'm basically trying to do is I get kids to look at two Oreo cookies and I basically take them apart and then try to add them together. And between the one wafer and the other wafer, I'm trying to build as much of that white frosting in the middle, that moment between stimulus and response. And I'm wondering for you, how you developed that ability over time to basically expand that in-between phase. So you have the ability to show up as that better version of yourself, the one you've got envisioned in that moment, and you don't allow those emotions to take control of you. How do you do that? Practice. Hmm. You do it by self-reflection, because there's tons of times in the 25 years I've got it badly wrong. Walk me through those moments. Oh, I can P- let me... <laughs> pain, pains you today, <laughs> doesn't it? I'm badly wrong. Yeah, I mean, I've got... I know, I know when I've pissed somebody off. I know when my reaction has been too emotional. You know, you can tell from the way I come across that I am quite uh, emotional. So I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm quite impulsive, so I have to control that impulsivity. Um, I am very, very get up and go hmm. and proactive. Hey, listeners, are you ready to start making daily strides towards crafting the life you've always dreamed of? If so, I've got something special just for you. My upcoming book, Masterpiece in Progress, A Daily Guide to a Life Well-Crafted, is releasing on October 10th, and it's your ticket to a life of purpose, inspiration, and personal fulfillment. Imagine waking up every day to a potent passage designed to set your mind on fire and guide you towards personal and professional evolution. With 365 motivational insights, this book is your daily dose of wisdom to get your gears turning. So why wait? You can pre-order Masterpiece in Progress on Amazon right now and kickstart your journey to a life that's not just good, but a masterpiece. Don't miss out. The countdown begins now. Head to masterpieceinprogressbook.com to pre-order your Kindle today. And remember, all versions come out on October 10th. Uh, And at times, that approach is probably not appropriate. And at times, that can come across as quite challenging and maybe too aggressive to certain people. But I I think over the years I've learned and I do it with I mean I probably do it at worst when I'm at home with the family. So we had a situation here on Saturday evening. My daughters have come back from university. We were sat having a meal for the first time in six months as a four people around us for Sunday tea. And my um something happened and I just flipped and my wife said to me you know, you, you came across, it was so aggressive. It was so impulsive. There was absolutely no need for that reaction. And, I, you know, I reflect on it and say, you're absolutely right. I'll try harder next time. Um, so cons- good being able to accept feedback, mm. being people recognizing you. And my wife can give me the feedback straight away. But working when you're working with people who may not know you that well and don't really understand how you operate, being being um, receptive enough for them to understand that you're prepared to accept feedback and will will we'll work towards it. So I think I'm far less impulsive and reactive than I used to be. Um, but I'm, I'm conscious, consciously aware of the fact that I choose my response. And I think one of the questions you asked me um, the first time we got together was around um, what mindset do you have that you think has led to some of your success? A, how do you find success? Bigger question. But um, I think I've been successful because I've got a fairly glass half full mindset and I always see the opportunity in any situation. Hmm. And I think that leads me to, um, if I've got a difficult decision to make or a difficult stimulus, my Initial reaction is to see the positive 
if somebody cuts me up on the motorway, I don't immediately flip and want to run up the backside or put two fingers up. You know, I just immediately can relax into the situation. Were you like that at 25? Someone cuts you off on the motorway and being able to maintain that level-headedness in the moment? Probably not. Probably not. And I still, I still say there are moments now when I can react and think, why? Why? Why have I done that? Mm. Um, and that's not, it, you know, it's, it's not, de- not going to derail a relationship. It's not, it's not, it's not, I'm not going to go and stab somebody or punch somebody or do anything completely ridiculous. But um, I'm quite impulsive. Um, I'm quite, uh, I have my heart on my sleeve. And so, and I think I've always been like that. But over the years, experience comes, um, situations come, and you just accept that. There isn't always a solution, always an answer. You may not always be right. Um, and it's having that and drawing back on that idea that, you know, I am choosing my response to this situation. I could choose a different response if I wanted to. And being aware of that and being conscious of that and thinking about the likes of Frankel, who spent however many years incarcerated, you know, how the hell did he deal with that? Um, just makes me reflect all the time. Hmm. Speaking of enduring hardships, have you read the book Endurance about Ernest Shackleton? I've read I've read some stuff um, that Simon Sinek wrote about Shackleton in one of his books. Not I've not read Endurance, but I've read some excerpts that Sinek. Um, oh. I've got the name. I never Simon Sinek. I can't remember the name of the book that I read now, but it's really really good stuff. I've seen Ranulph Fiennes talking about uh, endurance. Okay, that might be one if you enjoyed Frankel that you might might enjoy there. But I, I was bringing up yeah. the, the Oreo cookies, and, and that's bringing up two circles. And I know Covey, his, his first one is take responsibility. And he talks about two circles. Can you yeah. dive into these and, and how we can use these in our own lives? The two circles being circle of concern and circle of influence. Yep. Yeah. Again, that's another model from Covey, which for me is uh, fundamental to... Becoming a bigger, uh, not bigger, expanding your, so focusing your circle of influence. Um, and the more time you spend in your circle of influence, the um, the bigger it will become. And eventually the two circles will overlap. And I, I remember back to my Iceland days when I was the Peter Lee, Malcolm Walker relationships. I, I worked alongside a good buddy of mine I don't really know him anymore. But he was always up and down the corridor to the directors talking about what he was doing, this, that, and the other. But with, I didn't feel with a great deal of substance sometimes. I never, I, I, didn't, I didn't approach things like that. I just got on and focused on what I had to do. And slowly but surely, I could feel my influence in the business growing because I, my performance was improving because I was spending time focusing on the things that made a difference rather than jumping into my circle of concern. Um, and I could see, so when I when I first joined there as a, just a, a, a trader, I, I ended up running the trading department. So I could see how my influence was growing. And then things that were once in my circle of concern, I, I ended up having the whole business. Hmm. So I can absolutely support the view that says, focus in there. Um, and it will expand over time. Carl, walk me through your week. I don't know if you, if you would do this on a Monday morning, during a weekend. How did you narrow that focus? I, I, I'm thinking practically here. How did you understand what the essential things were that you had to focus on that coming week? And how did you organize your day and your weeks around that? So, again, I'll refer back to COVID. Apologies if it sounds a bit repetitive. But sharpening the saw is the seventh habit. And it's all around maintaining your physical um, ability, your cap- physical capability, your um, friendships. I can't remember exactly how he describes your relationships and your friendships, your spiritual um, restoration, your rest, all those sorts of things. And I, I they're, the, they're the big blocks for me. They're the ones that go in first. I never, ever compromise on 
my uh, exercise, my diet, my sleep. I never compromise on staying in touch with my friends, my pals, my network. I never compromise with the clubs or the charities or associations I'm involved with. They are, they are the big rocks. There's an analogy, isn't there, of a fish tank. And into this fish tank, you pour a load of water. And then you get these big rocks and you try and put the rocks into the, and the water just laps all over the place. So if you do it the other way around and you put all the big rocks in first, and then you get the same volume of water and you pour the water in, it just all finds a level. And the principle is get the big rock, get the big rocks in first, make, make sure that you're focusing on the, on the big things. So if the big things for me are my own personal, um, physical well-being, uh, my friendships, my family. Um, and then I look at what's left. Uh, and, in, and invariably, that is a lot of time. Um, and of course, there are times when you have to compromise some of that. You know, I wanted to go out for a cycle ride on Wednesday night with some pals, but unfortunately, I had to work a bit late. But I, I made a conscious decision that I was going to work late. And I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to exercise. And I made a conscious decision I wasn't going to meet up with them. So I informed them. I told them I wasn't going to be able to make it and the reasons. So it's just a case of it's a, it's a case of focusing, prioritizing. Um, I think I never write anything down. I don't keep any notes. Um, I have a, an ability to remember things. And I have an instinct. I feel like I have an instinct for understanding where the checks and balances are. Occasionally, it'll go wrong. Uh, and I'll have to apologize to a friend because I've let them down. Or I'll have to apologize to myself because I've not done exercise. You know, the energy that exercise gives me uh, can feel the endorphins. I can feel my reoxygenated blood. When I have a when I eat badly, I can feel sluggish. I don't make good decisions. I don't sleep well. So all those things are a combination um, of how I think about the week. The, the through line here that I'm seeing is self awareness, a deeper understanding in your own inner mental game, the physiological effects that need to influence your better performance. All of these things. I'm just hearing self awareness here. You mentioned the big rocks, and it's much easier for you to understand where your attention, where your time's going to go, because you've sat down and you've understood what those big rocks are. What were the early days like for you to get to that place, to understand those rocks, to have this level of self-knowledge? I'm just thinking about someone earlier in their career, they're hearing this, and they're like, mm. I'm trying to figure out my big rocks. What, what led to you understanding that? Um, I, think, I think it goes deep to your families. Uh, what they valued and therefore trickle down process, what I valued, which is around relationships. I've never been, I've never been out to, to, to be financially, you know, successful. I have, I have a reasonable financial um, situation, but I'm not, you know, I'm not. So I think I'm trying to remember one or two. There was one occasion, there was one occasion when I went to a, it's going back to the Iceland day. So it's probably, mid nineties, probably 30 years ago now. And there was a guy who came and gave us some, it was the first sort of first sort of time I ever sat back and thought about longer term planning. And he got us to write three things down. Um, what would you like, what, where would you like to be in 10, 15 years time? And I put a nice, nice house in the countryside somewhere with a family with two kids, uh, uh, a single figure handicap at golf, which I never achieved, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, there was one or two other things. But he talked about Mastermind Alliance. Uh, he talked about, once you, you know, it's not easy to write those things down, but, um, and I still wouldn't, to, to come back directly to the question, I still don't think, the bit, some of those big rocks could change a little. I may substitute one for another over time. I'm not, you know, they're not necessarily there as lifelong. Some of, some of them will be, but one or two may change. Um, but anyway, the principle of Mastermind Alliance says, if you want to be a chess grandmaster, then you have to start to learn and play chess with grandmasters. Um, the second habit is all about leadership. It's all about direction. 
And the story that he opens the chapter with talks to being at a funeral. There's a huge amount of people outside. There's loudspeakers. You walk in, the place is packed. You know, there's a feeling of love. There's a feeling of um, that this person had this amazing life and that everybody's attended to pay tribute. And you get to the, you go and think, I'll go and have a look and see whose funeral it is. And it's yours. It's your funeral. Um, and what would you like people to say about you? What would you like your, somebody from your close family to say? What would you like somebody, your friends to say? What would you like somebody from your work environment to say? What would you like somebody from a sporting or a religious or an organization outside of work and family? What would you like those four people to say and write that down? And that becomes, they become your big rocks. They become your guiding principles. And it's not easy to do that, but about ooh, 2006, I've been at Sodexo for a year, 18 months, and we're in Paris at a conference. And there was a, a futurologist, was how he branded himself, a guy called Watt Wacker. And he was on stage, and I can't remember most of his presentation, but it was really some really good stuff. But he finished with this poem. And as he started reciting this poem, I just it just pricked me, and I thought, do you know, that's it. If I had to try and articulate what my direction needs to look like, then it's probably in those words. So I, I was like compelled and I rushed up to the front of the stage when he walked off and I managed, every, the, the conference had closed and I managed to find his agent. And I said, can you tell me that poem that Watt has just recited? Who wrote it? He said, it was written in the 19th century by an, an, author, uh, an author called Beth, Bessie Stanley. And there's lots of different versions online. And, but the version I've got is the one that resonates with me. And I've, I've got it in three different places in the house, all nicely calligraphied up in a, in a um, frame. I've got one in the downstairs lavatory and I've got one in the lounge and one in the bedroom. So it's impossible for me not to see that on a daily basis. It's a, it's, um, it's a beautiful poem. It's, it's funny enough, someone texted me a verse of the poem the other day, and it's often wrongly attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson. And they sent it to me All right, okay. and they said, check out this Emerson line. Um, do you mind if I re read a version of the poem that I, I have pulled up? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure if it's the exact one in your house. And so this, yeah. um, what was the name again? Was it Bessie Stanley? The, the lady's called Bessie Stanley. Yep. So this and is, the, yeah, she says, he has achieved success who has lived well, laughed often and loved much who has enjoyed the yeah. trust of pure women, the respect of intelligent men, and the love of little children, who has filled his niche and accomplished his task, who has left the world better than he found it, whether by an improved poppy or a perfect poem or a rescued soul, who has never lacked appreciation of Earth's beauty or failed to express it, who has always looked for the best in others and given them the best he had, whose life was an inspiration, whose memory a benediction. It's a great yeah. poem. I'm not sure if that's the, the version words. you have, but yeah. No, I've got that. The essence of it's the same, uh, but different words. So that, you know, that becomes your sort of guiding principles. Um, if somebody, if I, we went to, we had a very traumatic week last week because my daughter's, one of my daughter's friends, 19, he had a serious car crash. He survived the car crash. And then he ended up in hospital and was okay. And then for some unknown reason, got sepsis and died within 24 hours. So we went to a funeral. We were actually there this time last week. And there was all sorts of stories being told about a 19 year old kid. I mean, it's just completely mind blowing, the devastation and the tragedy of the whole situation. But I sat there and I thought, you know, we're all, we're not here for very long. Some of us are here for a lot less than other people. Um, and it's the legacy we leave, it's the memories we leave, you know, and uh, it sort of resonated with me even further when I was going through that situation last week. Um, and I'd like somebody to stand up and talk about me in that context. Mm. So they're the big rocks and they're what you, how you need to prioritize your life. That's how I see it fairly simply, really. Mm. You've led so many people throughout your career. I'm wondering, when, when you see that version of yourself, 25, 30 years younger than you, 
and you see them not fully embracing some of these habits, not fully taking responsibility for their life, how much can you do to get them to finally take that step to taking responsibility? They have to see it for themselves. It's so frustrating I, as a leader, isn't it? There's, there's only, there's only, you can guide them. It's, it's, it's like the, um, one of my other, one of my other, I've, I've got numerous books over the years that I've read and um, thought through. Mandela's Walk to Freedom is, Long Walk to Freedom is a really powerful book. Um, early in the, early in the book, he, I think it's on, it's like a 900 page book and it's on page 18. His very, very early upbringing when he was living in Africa, um, basically, I can only imagine, almost like in a safari environment with the villages dotted around. And um, the regent who was like the the controller or the the boss of the tribes, basically, if if there was an issue like famine or drought or whatever, he would call a meeting at the water, at the at the at the sort of central place, and the villagers would walk for miles to get there. So, and he he used to open. He would open the session by outlining the problem, and then he would go to everybody in turn and hear their thoughts and their views and opinions. And nobody would ever interrupt anybody. Some people could talk for ages. Others might be a couple of minutes. But he let everybody speak. And then at the end, they had a they had a vote. And if it wasn't complete majority, they all went home and came and walked all the way back the following day and started the discussion again. And it wasn't until the majority, there was a majority decision, um, so a unanimous decision, not a majority, a unanimous decision, that everybody agreed that that's what they then decided to do. So Mandela was describing the situation saying, this is where I got my very early ideas around leadership. And he said, um, the, the fascinating thing was that the regent never said a word to any of these conversations. But what he did, he kept mental notes of it all. And then at the end, he would play back the discussions, the conversations, the opposing views, and the decision that they'd come to. Then they'd have a big feast. And invariably, the region was mocked by some sort of joker or humility. So there was a sense of humility there. And Mandela said, and this will come full circle back to the point, Mandela said, that was my early establishment of leadership. The leader is not out front. The leader is behind the flock. And the flock moves ahead. But the leader is always at the back guiding. And I think all I can do with colleagues, with 25, my kids, is show them the path and say, look, here's where, here's where we're trying to go here. Now it's up to you to take responsibility. Read the material work on it, study it, internalize it, make it into habit, experience things, you'll get things wrong. Somebody will be there to pick you up. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll find your way. Hmm. Speaking of finding your way, I know it's, it's like walking in the fog, especially some of those early days when you're thrust into a new leadership role. I know that's something that's happened to you. Walk me through how you navigate that period where essentially you're being pushed into a new environment, which is extremely challenging. It's like you're drinking out of a fire hose. Just walk me through how to better navigate that as a leader. It's going to sound repetitious, this. But the first thing you need to do is just, after that initial, you know, I've been promoted, I've got a new role, I've got a bigger team, and all the excitement and the ego that comes from that, the first thing I do is just sense check back to my core principles and my guy, where I'm trying to get to. Hmm. Um, my next, um, my next move would be right. How am I going to, how am I going to manage this increased level of workload potentially until I'm on top of things? How am I going to manage that within my physical friendship, spiritual relationships? What, what's going to have to give here at some point? How am I going to lay out my time? How am I going to structure things? Um, the next thing I would, I have done, I've used it probably half a dozen times now is dig out my old and very tatty and thumbed, uh, version of the first 90 days, which takes me through a bit of a process on assessing the situation. Am I in a turnaround? Am I in a, 
startup? Am I um, just looking to continue and um, manage an already successful situation? It just need a little bit of tweaking. Um, I would then spend probably a month listening to stakeholders around the business, my colleagues, my reports, the wider stakeholders from customers to suppliers. In a retail environment, I'd be in the shops. I'd be soaking up as much intelligence and thoughts and ideas from as many people as I possibly could. I wouldn't act on anything for at least four to six weeks. Now, trust me, for somebody who likes to get into the detail and is quite impulsive, that is a difficult thing to do, um, particularly if you're transitioning through a hierarchy where you're being promoted because you've been successful at the job you've already done. Mm -hmm. And you're effectively going to be managing the team that is now um, doing what you used to do. Mm. Because, you know, hey, I was really good at that because I've been promoted and now I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do sort of thing. Um, when that's complete, from my perspective, that's completely the wrong approach. Um, so, so the best way to try and articulate that to you from my own experience is probably one of my um, best mentors, boss and then mentor, was a guy called Philip Jansen. He's the CEO of BT. Um, Philip, I think he's moving on from BT, actually. I think he's just resigned. But Philip, Philip recruited me into Sodexo in 2005. I had a couple of choices. I'd left Iceland, had a couple of choices, and I chose to go with Philip because I, I was inspired by him. What, um, what about young, him young, inspired you? Massive, I mean, a brain the size of a planet. Just very, very big picture. Um, didn't sweat the, the small stuff at all. Didn't know my job, uh, but recognized my attitude and skills and just could just tell. He inspired me to join the business. He, he, he jumped through hoops to get me to join in terms of the financial package that was put on the table, the LTIP. He got me a car to drive for the summer when I, he didn't need to. He paid me a relocation. All that. So he just really looked after me and inspired me. And I knew, his I knew some of his track record, although he was still that was his first CEO role, to be fair. He's gone on to much bigger things now since. Started in the office on the Monday morning, and it was about a two-hour train journey. I got to my desk, got an email, and there was an email from Philip just saying, hi, Carl, welcome on board. I'm not around for four to six weeks because I'm working in Paris and then in the US. Don't worry about getting too involved. No, don't, he didn't say that. What he, don't make it. He said, How was, I can't remember his exact words. All he said was, two, you've got two priorities. One, just keep your ears open and listen. And two, establish some personal credibility around the business. I'll see you in six weeks. And six weeks later, I turned up at his office in, in, city, in, in, the, in London. And... Um, we sat down and he said, how's the first six weeks been? And I said, yeah, good. I've really enjoyed it. And he said, um, I'm hearing some really good things. He said, um, you've established the personal credibility. You've got some really good thoughts and ideas. Let's agree, your, let's agree your objectives. And we sat, we spent five hours pouring over. I'd written some stuff. He'd written some stuff. We we spent time focusing on the nuance of every word. I went out of that room absolutely crystal clear on what his level of expectation was of me and mine of him. And I hardly ever heard from him. We took the EBIT from non, nothing on a billion turnover to 60 million in the space of 18 months. And I reckon I, it was a group, it was a group, um, uh, a board uh the board achieved it, but I reckon I probably delivered about 20 million of that benefit. Very well rewarded. Um, and Philip was just so hands-off, but I always knew he was there. I always knew he had my back. I always knew that he had his feelers out in the business, checking and balancing what I was on, but he never directly um he, he, we had the okay, we had a, a conversations, but he never he never um challenged me on why I would do something some way or the other. We just had this understanding between us. A few things I want to dive into here. First, the personal credibility. 
What do you do in yeah. that six-week time frame to build that personal credibility? Um, no ego. You you um, accept that you are whatever position you're in the in the business. You talk to everybody in the business. If you walk into an operation, you talk to the cleaner. You talk to the the MDs. You talk to the you you just you just immerse yourself in the people in the organisation, um, and so you demonstrate a sense of purpose and the reason you're there and what attributes and benefits you think you can bring to the business. But you do that in a very humble and um, understated way. Um, when people call you, you get back to them. Um, it's all pretty, in my set, in my idea, basic stuff, but some people just can't, can't do it. So you, you be present. Uh, you turn up on time. Um, you respect people. You know the old, the old adage: you talk to everybody in the organisation because the lower down in the organisation you go, they're the people that really understand what's going on with the business. You know the I can't the apocryphal story of somebody saying to the cleaner at Cape Canaveral, you know what's what do you what do you do around here? So I help put man on the moon. <laughs> that type of philosophy, um, and. It comes back to your circle of influence again. Don't get out. Don't don't start playing and meddling in areas that are not your 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 in your influence. But you can feel your influence growing all the time. I think I make it sound like it's uh, there's some sort of model for it. I suppose I'd go back to Covey. What's the model? The model is I've got a new role. I'm in a new business. I know I've got to establish personal credibility. Therefore, that's what I'm going to try and achieve, and I'm going to be proactive about it. What's my vision? What's my habit to? Where am I going? Am I in the right jungle? Have I got my ladder up against the right wall? Am I constantly checking and getting feedback from people around me? Yes. Am I am I prioritizing? Am I balancing what's important and what's urgent? You know, if there's a compromise to make, and I said I'll be at a site at 9 o'clock, I'll make bloody sure I'm at that site for 9 o'clock. I'm not going to tip up quarter past nine and say the traffic was bad because I couldn't get out of bed. So I'll be there at nine o'clock. And I think it's those simple little things that over time just build and build and build. Mm. And then one day you wake up and you, you're in a, you're in such a, I say powerful position. Power has, to me, sometimes has quite negative connotations. I'm in a position of influence, but through, through, Honesty, through reliability, through discipline, all those, you know, humility, all those positive words. That's how I think it gets done. You've got to build relationships over a long period of time. So different things come to you at different phases in your life. So I keep going back to seven habits and I get a different context to it. My life's in a different place. I'll take something else out of it. So you've got to, it's, comes back to sharpening the saw, the seventh habit. You've got to constantly be thinking about where you're at, what you're doing. Um, a great quote for me, and this came from a guy, that, the guy that tried to recruit me into Sainsbury's, is that only the paranoid survive. Now the, now, the word paranoid has some fairly negative connotations, the idea of paranoia. Um, but what I take out of it is I need, I need to be... I need to be thinking about these things. I, I can rest. I've got time for my rest. I've got time for my exercise. But if I don't go out on my bike, I'm thinking, I need to go out on my bike. I'm not paranoid about it, but it's on my mind. Um, so, you know, constantly reappraising, re reassessing, building. There's never a bad idea. Um, it's just the context it may be discussed, discussed or described in is 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 powerful for me. We've talked a lot about understanding yourself, self-awareness. I've done just about every single self-awareness packet, Myers-Briggs, Belbin, dozens of others over the years. But I did one recently. My wife is a leadership development coach at a local university in York, and she works with an organization of developing or have bought across some product called Print. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. Nope. Um, but Print basically categorizes you. It, it looks at your subconscious motivators, um, and it, it, it classifies nine subconscious uh, motivators, and it gives you a major and a minor. And my major 
is to be happy and enjoy life. And my, my, my minor is to find deep and meaningful interactions in all my relationships, effectively. And that produces a certain characteristic. And it, it produces a characteristic which is lives in the moment, sees life in the moment, and takes enjoyment from that moment. Doesn't really get caught up in the bigger picture or the longer term. Um, can be quite impulsive and can, to other people, appear to be committed to things. And then if situation circumstances change, can maybe divert onto something different. So that probably explains a little bit about why maybe I haven't been able to become a master at anything. I think what's coming through here for me is the ability to understand that, to face it, to look at it, be accepting of it, and understand how you navigate even around that. That, to me, is very important. Nicely. Very critical. Absolutely. 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 So um, a colleague of mine, a, a, a pal of mine, we uh, bought some property boy, four or five years ago, and we developed it. And we're now, we're now it's holiday lets and uh, rental accommodation. And he's, he's the do it, he's the handyman, he's the DIY guy, uh, and I'm the numbers guy. But he probably puts, over the last four or five years, he's probably 70, 30 in terms of effort that's gone in. So when I told him six months ago that I wanted to get back into doing a corporate role, he said, well, I said to him, we need to think about what this means for the business. I think he, he sees that I've probably jumped and been impulsive and want to get back in. And I'm now having to constantly make sure that I am contributing as much as I possibly can, vis-a-vis -vis some of the early parts of the conversation. He sees the strength in what I do and how I've done it, and I'm still adding value to the operation and the business. Um, but I've got, to, I've got to check and balance all the time that I've just not left him high and dry, and I'm not just dashed off in my impulsive nature and, and off I've gone. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it supports that view that says to be a leader and to win that private victory that Kobe talks about, you've got to understand yourself. You've got to understand that what makes me great, in inverted commas, can also make me weak mm -hmm. and vulnerable. And there's a very, very fine line between the two. Uh, and it's a case of I'm, I'm, I can be great, 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 great to an extent, and then it, it flips over. Then it starts to become negative. Yeah, yeah. And it is a very fine line. Yeah, I, th I think one of the most helpful exercises is to really explore those greatest strengths you have. And then, like you said, go a little bit further and then see how that also is an opposing weakness and how it turns into that and what the early indicators are when you're reaching the peak of that where it's about to flip over. Well, read. I think it's Tom Peters' Pursuit of Wow. There's a great ch uh, chapter in there about how... Um, this great thing can breed this monster. Hmm. I like that phrasing. I, I pulled some of these books out of my, my bookcase. So it, it's, um, it talks to, let me just find it here. Hang on a sec. You've got some time. So, so it talks about moving into a sense of infallibility. Hmm. Uh, quickness can become over hastiness. Sharp wit can become abrasiveness. Alertness can become narrow focus. Dedication can become workaholism. Control can become inflexibility. Courage can become foolhardiness. Perseverance, resistance to change. Charm, manipulation. Thriftiness, false economy. And commitment, blind faith. Just like the paradox, he calls it the paradox of success. Mm. And I, I love being in the moment. I see my life in moments. I plan the year out. I plan my week out in terms of, Cycle rides, holidays, um, golf, cricket, uh, family, and I, I can see them in my diary, mm. and I get energy from developing those moments that I know I'm going to have fantastic time. Um, but there is a there is a downside to it. Yeah, Carl, we're going to wrap up here in a minute, but I would love to know because you're someone who's so interested, so curious, clearly a voracious learner. If you could do this long form interview. Anyone dead or alive, who would you love to sit down with? Uh, thought about this. I think um, there's two people. Oh, my gut reaction would say Mandela. Hmm. And my second gut reaction would probably say Muhammad Ali. Why is that? He hasn't come up yet in the conversation, so I'm curious on that. Because I'm not a boxing fan particularly. Maybe I was a little bit when I was growing up. So in the mid-70s, 
there was just something about something about Muhammad Ali, uh, his charisma, um, his beliefs, the whole Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali thing, um, the whole black thing, and you know the whole sort of minority. Um, I'm a sports fan, so anybody that excels. He sort of he, he made boxing like he was just a showman. I mean, I think boxing's completely lost its way. Mm. It's become so well as most sports have become actually. It's been totally dominated by money. Um, but back in the mid seventies, just Muhammad Ali was for me an icon and always will be. Um, so Mandela, humility, courage, perseverance, resolve. Um, Swim against the tide. Um, it's, I find it very hard to look at a picture of Mandela and feel anything other than warmth and admiration for what he achieved and yeah. what he did and his whole sort of raison d'etre. Um, and I'm sure to some people he was a terrorist. And having read his book, you know, he went through an enormous amount of suffering and learning and incarcerated. So just would love to spend imagine just being sat in front of him. I feel totally and utterly overawed. Well, Carl, this has been yeah. incredibly insightful for me. Um, I really appreciate the depths you've gone to in understanding yourself, how to bring others along, how to take responsibility for your life, the ways that you've thought about the end in mind, envisioning that, and then crafting the life based on that. So I appreciate the time you yeah. took today. And I look forward to having more great conversations with you. Thanks, Sean. Have a good day. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.